0: On Commons People this week, coronavirus hits Westminster.
1: Uh, it's absolutely critical uh, in managing the, the spread of this virus that we take the right decisions at the right time.
0: Chancellor Rishi Sunak splashes the cash. This budget gets it done. And we're in the office of Labour deputy leadership contender Rosanna Allen khan Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul Ward. Hi Arj. Hey Paul, we've got Rachel Wearmouth back from a break. Hello. Hi Rachel and we're delighted to be joined by the Labour Deputy Leadership Candidate, Rosanna Allen Carr. Hello. Hi Rosanna, how are you? Good, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you on. Well, Britain is officially moving into the second phase of its response to the coronavirus, which seeks to delay the worst of the outbreak until the summer, so the NHS finds it easier to cope. Meanwhile, Health Minister Nadine Dorries is self-isolating, having contracted the virus. Italy and Ireland have gone into lockdown, and Donald Trump has banned travel between Europe and the US. The government is facing questions about why it isn't following other countries in taking draconian steps, but ministers insist they are following the science. Here's Boris Johnson explaining more.
1: While it's absolutely critical, uh, it's absolutely critical uh, in managing the, the spread of this virus, that we take the right decisions at the right time based on the latest and the best evidence. So we mustn't do things which have no or limited medical benefit, nor things which could turn out actually
0: to be counterproductive. Paul, is the government gambling on its approach to coronavirus?
1: Well, um, I don't think it is gambling if, as long as the, the science holds up, put it that way, because it's a clear strategy by the Prime Minister to to say, look, I'm always only ever following what the chief medical officer says and what the chief scientist says. And that, so far, has has politically worked quite well, I think, because he's got a consensus from the opposition. I mean, John Ashworth um, has been included in a lot of the talks. Um, We can talk to Rosanna about this as well, about how cross-party it's been so far. Obviously, the caveats, that's what an opposition's job is to do, to scrutinise whether things things may need to be pushed a bit further. But overall, in terms of the science, we're going to have a briefing. I mean, this will come out after our uh, podcast, but... um, that we're going to have a briefing this afternoon, yet another one of the three amigos, the Prime Minister in the middle, Chief Medikov on one side and Chief Scientist on the other side. And they'll give us an update, I suspect, on how many number of cases there are, but also the next phase and what that means. And the big question everyone wants to know is, are they going to shut schools? Are they going to shut football matches? What's going to happen to my daily life? And so far, they've been holding off on those so-called draconian measures for obvious reasons, which is an NHS a third of staff rely on childcare, and if schools closed, the NHS would be massively hit. So we've not been as knee-jerk on that as some places. Uh, And when it comes to big football gatherings, again, they've held the line, been quite sensible, not followed that. It's smaller gatherings that they're more worried about. But, I mean, Matt Hancock last night, he actually said, and it was quite a brave thing to say, he actually said in the House of Commons, um, there are some countries that are not fully following the science. He didn't name which they were. He wasn't critical of them um, directly, but he made that point. And then one asked about the number 10 this morning about that. I said, do you agree with that? They said, I'm not going to agree with the health secretary. You've got his word. So he's been endorsed by number 10, basically saying some countries are getting this science wrong. Not just, you know, it's not politicians that interfering, maybe even some of their their interpretation of a, their scientific advice is wrong. Um, Rosanna, you you are a doctor, of yep. course, Still working in A and E. Yeah, believe. I do. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: some
0: some NHS doctors have come out to criticise the government's response. I mean, where are you on this?
2: I personally think we should have moved into the delay phase sooner than now. And I don't think we should um, measure our performance according to what other countries are doing. I think we should be looking at what's best for us. And when you look at the fact that China had the same number of cases that we already have surpassed before implementing measures, um, we do need to be listening to what some of the other scientific community, for example, some um, eminent um, epidemiologists, listen to what they're saying because... Ultimately, we can't leave the scientific community to be scapegoated as well for the government making bad decisions if they are proven to be wrong.
0: Yeah, Rachel, uh, this could even have an effect on Brexit, couldn't it?
2: Uh, Apparently
3: so, yeah. Uh, Well, unless you accept that Boris Johnson and the Conservatives have got Brexit done and uh, (laughs) and we never need to mention that word ever again. But um, Michael Gove, the Cabinet Minister this week, suggested at a committee hearing that the next round of talks could be delayed, um, so they're kind of due for the next committee, the joint committee meeting. I think it's on the on March 30th, and he said it was a, a live question as to whether um, those talks would go ahead because there's a go ahead because there's a specific health concern that Brussels has already raised. So um, we could see that potentially delayed further down the line, and then it kind of puts more pressure on Boris Johnson to extend the transition period in December if they can't get everything done. And I mean, a lot of people have already said that it's really, really difficult to get all of the trade docs done within the time that's been set. So it seems like you'll have to extend at some point, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good idea. Personally, I think I would really welcome that because if you look at the people who are most likely to be vulnerable due to the fact that we're really even even leaving the EU um, they are the same groups that are going to be vulnerable from, from the attack of the coronavirus outbreak we're talking about people working in our gig economy um, and, and, and such and I think it's right that we take the measures that we need to also to ensure that the government will be held to account and fully scrutinised over any deal leaving the EU.
1: And Rosanna, you mentioned earlier, you thought the government should be acting a bit quicker on coronavirus. What sort of things would you think they should have done sooner?
2: I think for example testing could be more robust even when I speak to colleagues and just speak to people today on the parliamentary estate but also speak to friends working in the NHS they've said that there's been some really um, unclear messaging one colleague told me today that two people he knew that had returned from northern Italy they phoned NHS 111 they were told that they would be called back but they weren't they were self-isolating at home for five days um, then phoned again and then said oh sorry you've lost all your details so they had to be at home for eight days self-isolating so this obviously affects their work their family before even being tested and then when you're tested you obviously have to wait three to five days for a result we need to be moving quicker people need to have a better idea of of how to access testing what it means for their daily lives for example if you call 111 they might tell you to stay at home and self-isolate that's no small thing for someone to sit at home for two weeks you know, does that mean that they should get tested, shouldn't get tested? So the messaging needs to be clearer and the testing needs to be more robust.
1: Would you like to see people tested as a matter of course, if they get, think they've got severe symptoms, that they go into a pod in a a hospital or
2: whatever? That's what I'd like to see, personally, because I think that's how we keep an eye really on the numbers that we have. Um, Because my fear is that there are hugely more people with the virus than we even know at this point and it's impossible to plan for the future without having an idea of the scale of the issue that we're seeing in the present time
0: and how much is is you know what's going on with 111 is one small aspect of this that you touched on there how much is that a symptom of an nhs that is always overstretched it seems at the moment
2: For me, this outbreak is going to lay bare the drastic underfunding of our NHS for the last 10 years. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Labour politician, I'm saying that because I work on our front line. We don't have a social care system that is fit for purpose. And I'm not happy with anything I heard in the budget with regards to social care. Where was it? Fundamentally, unless we can get people out of hospitals safely into the communities where they belong anyway, particularly when they don't even need to be there, how can we have the beds available for patients that are coming in needing to use the health service? More than that, though, we don't have the staff. We know that we don't have the numbers of nurses that we need. Um, you know, nurse bursaries have been slashed. We we don't have the staff in the NHS that we need to be there for a day-to-day daily running of our NHS to begin with. And if the government's grand plan was to bring back in staff who have retired, who themselves are in the most at-risk groups, that to me is preposterous and highlights the fact that we, we are so under-resourced as it is. And it's not just about saying, oh, well, we need more ITU beds the staff need to be trained. ITU means having a nurse that is eminently capable to, to take care of that patient on a one-on-one basis. That takes years of training.
1: Yeah, some people have suggested actually the big problem with the NHS is that you haven't built up that capacity over time to allow for a... A big crisis. In other words, you don't have the. There's the no slack in the system, is there? Yeah. Exactly. There's, there's slack.
2: no slack. Yeah. yeah, there's no slack in the system, and the system already doesn't have what it needs. And a winter crisis isn't confined to winter anymore. It's a year round crisis, which, again, this idea of waiting until the summertime from when the NHS is less strained, that, quite frankly, is is quite ridiculous. Let's deal with the problem if we have it now, not wait until we hope that the summer months make things easier. And is it your
3: understanding that sort of hospitals and staff have enough equipment and like full body suits all this kind of thing have you spoken to a lot of doctors who are concerned that they're not going to have any of the any of the things that they'll need to treat people
2: well, I've heard from people... That, in, in fact, I held a meeting today um, with some people from the scientific community, and they said that their concern was, though they had been testing out um, various modes of um, protective clothing, it turns out that there is a lack of the clothing that they need available. The sizes aren't available. And just yesterday, obviously, because people often contact me, because I'm a doctor still, um, you know, to let me know what's going on, someone said that they were a GP and had only started receiving... the the necessary protective clothing yesterday and this has been going on for a month now.
0: And have you been working at all while this has been going on? Or?
2: No, I've been running in no. this deputy leadership yeah. race. It so. so might be expected to work. That's the kind of work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been well, it's been, it's been flat out. I won't lie. Um, and but my my most recent shift was 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 done over the um, Christmas New Year period. So yeah. I do see regularly in Technicolor the strain that our NHS is on. And and I must just quickly say that the staff are incredible. They do more and more with less and less. And my fear is that they will get burnt out from this they will be obviously i mean nhs staff are humans like anyone they wonder about their their you know vulnerable elderly parents catching the virus they wonder about what it's going to mean for them if their children are off school and we have to make sure that the government although it's nice words to announce money for the coronavirus, what does that mean in real terms for things like childcare that I know you mentioned, Paul? And also the scientists that I spoke to earlier on today said that there is so much bureaucracy in terms of getting grant applications pushed through in order to, to have trials to make vaccines. We need to make sure that we know where this money is going and where there can be things that can be fast-tracked and enable people to do their job.
0: Just the last one on this, if, if it gets really bad and, and they are kind of pulling people out of retirement and things like that, you'd presumably go back to working in hospitals and prioritise that over the political stuff or well my or
2: priority is to my constituents yeah. that put me in office, I yeah. serve them and they their lives will be heavily affected by this. So yeah. my first duty is is to them. Yeah. You know, the coronavirus will, will you know will affect their lives, they will understandably be concerned and um, I am only one woman, I'll yeah. do what I can in every capacity possible. <laughs> but but my priority is going to be to the people that elected me and, and to the country. As it
0: should be, as it yeah. should be. Well, amidst all this, Rishi Sunak appeared to have a very difficult Task delivering the budget this week, but luckily for the new Chancellor, he was able to find a magic money tree that allowed him to go on a huge £30 billion spending splurge, with £12 billion of that earmarked specifically to tackle coronavirus. Traditional Tories may be concerned about the ballooning borrowing to pay for what the OBR identified as the biggest budget giveaway since 1992. Let's hear a bit of the budget speech. We promised to get Brexit done, and we got it done. We promise to let hard-working families keep more of what they earn. This budget gets it done. Yeah. We promise to back businesses, to innovate, invest and trade. This budget gets it done. We promise to invest in science and research. This budget gets it done. We promise to deliver green growth and protect our environment. This budget gets it done. We promise to level up with new roads, railways, broadband and homes. This budget gets it done. And yes, we promise record funding for our NHS and public services. This budget gets it done. This government delivers its promises and gets things done.
1: Paul, was this a labor light budget? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that um, it bought into the argument Labour's been making for a long time, which is that you need a fiscal stimulus sometimes for the economy. Um, So suddenly we get this massive fiscal stimulus, 30 billion quid, more than Gordon Brown could ever dreamed of. And yes, in the sense that borrowing is sometimes necessary to go up to to take the slack of that. If you don't want to increase taxes and if you don't want to um, cut spending, then the the natural way, the only third way is increasing borrowing. So yes, it's labour in that sense. It's not labour in the sense that actually... Labour's proposals the last manifesto were on a different scale in terms of the investment. And also, Labour also had, let's not forget, the tax rises for people who were over the sort of £80,000 level, the top 5%. And that's nowhere in this set of plans. but it's interesting, all good governments, they beg, borrow and steal policies, don't they? they? So they co-opt what the best bits of what they think the opposition's proposing and they discard what they think's sort of politically difficult. So you could say, actually, what they've done is they've, they've raided... Um, Labour's sort of hoard when it comes to policy on it. The interesting thing I think is actually corporation tax. If you look at the figures yesterday in the red book, and most of the figures are, are piddling, they're tiny, but the massive, massive plus plus four four thousand plus five thousand billion um, each time was on corporation tax. And basically that's because they've decided to cancel the cut in corporation tax this budget would not have been possible without that and that again was a John McDonnell policy so it's worth remembering all of that that and no one really talked about corporation tax yesterday a lot of well, a lot of talk about everything else and borrowing but that was the big ticket item yeah. and overall it's a net increase a small net increase in in taxation the tax burden this budget and the main reason for that I talked to one of the wonks yesterday is because of corporation tax and yeah. no one about that.
3: but whether well, decided to, to not cut it quite a long time ago i think and and he, he boris johnson actually went to the cbi conference and told businesses to exactly it's straight up that that's what he was going to yeah, do yeah but he's, he's got away with it if you see what i mean in yeah. other words
1: he, he's nicked a classic labor policy which is look we're not going to go ahead with this mad tax cut for business uh because it's so expensive but he's somehow got away with that narrative uh, not much to complain about then Rosanna.
2: Well, they should take a few more of our policies like ending food bank use, like adopting the Green New Deal. Um, But I would say that this um, will give the NHS whatever it needs because of this coronavirus crisis. We've had a crisis in our NHS for the last decade under the Tories. Where's the money been before now? Could one argue that it's because they see how it could directly affect their lives as well? Um, You know, unfortunately, um, viruses know no boundaries they know no national borders they know they don't know political persuasion they don't know age sex um and on and now we're seeing that that the uh you know Tory MPs can't just um private their way out of it <laughs> it it, it, uh, it affects them too it suddenly becomes this this crisis that we're going to um you know pay for well our NHS has been in crisis where was the money then
0: I mean to Paul's broader point though Labour have won the argument in a lot of ways here for a fiscal stimulus into the economy because even without coronavirus, it would have been £18 billion, pounds, which, is, which is massive. Um, is there much to complain about in the budget? You must be kind of pleased with it, really.
2: I'm always going to be pleased with anything that improves the lives of others, but I'm not pleased that there was no mention of social care. I mean, there are so many things that are vital for people and their everyday lives and... I want to know that with this coronavirus outbreak that we are looking at how we protect people who work in our gig economy. You know, for example, there are companies that we've all heard of today even that um, are only going to pay sick pay if somebody has been confirmed to have the virus. What about those who are being encouraged to self-isolate? We have to look at how we protect absolutely everyone in our communities, particularly the most vulnerable. And let's just see is all I can say.
1: There's also the key point, I mean, the IFS, the Independent Institute for Fiscal Studies, have just this lunchtime come out with their own version of the analysis of the budget. And we've just done a story on the fact that they're... One of their, the things that is found buried in the budget is that austerity for everything other than NHS, I think edu- bits of education, defence, and overseas aid, is austerity still going to be there Quotes for years to come, is what they say. Yes. Uh, and that's departmental a, spending, yeah, in, isn't yes. it? In it's the basically all the increases
0: in those. Yeah, and systems. even though he yeah.
1: paraded this 2.8% increase yeah. for a couple of years and said this is a substantial increase, the IFS have said, well, hold on a tick, uh, that's all front loaded, it's only in a few areas and actually that everyone else can go hang and so i think there is still a big dividing line between labour and Tories on that um the question is how you pay for it
0: it's subject to the spending review that as well it is
1: and it may well be that he comes under real pressure from his own side saying or from the voters saying actually in two years time you'll then be close to general election you're really going to turn off the taps mm-hmm. and, and 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 tighten spending again that seems to be the last time when he want to do that so he might have to just keep that spending high but then he, can he borrow more to do that i don't know and the ifs was saying today that it looks like taxes might just have to go up or other bits of public spending just deeply cut and that's not great for for from their point of view or from the voters point of view and how did we all think Rishi Sunak did His- I actually, I mean, all right, on one level, you can say he's a former head boy of Winchester School (laughs) uh, and he's a former Goldman Sachs guy and he's spent his whole life being polished. Husband of a billionaire. uh, Exactly, and he's, he's... been groomed to be really really polished but that, that's fine okay and we shouldn't be bamboozled by someone speaking correctly in the chamber but he he had a sort of confidence that i was quite impressed by uh and a sort of assuredness and the delivery yes it really does matter i think delivery does matter in politics and it makes you sound credible now it was what you're saying matters much more than how you say it obviously but you know i do think there will be more than a few tories who are thinking mm, possible future to see him across the dispatch box against Keir Starmer in 2028 I mean who knows
0: and Rachel you were looking at some of the hidden nasties in the red book
3: yeah and most of them were the the things that were missing rather than um things that that they were trying to sting people with um one of them obviously was the obvious one of no spending for social care whatsoever even though there was six billion for the NHS nothing specific for social care um they also were under a lot of pressure to um, make changes to how they were going to tax um, self-employed contractors, and that hasn't changed. And um, they're going to press ahead with that. So that kind of so it's basically people who are uh, self-employed and they're working through a company and are treated almost like a, an employee. They're going to now go going to be taxed as an employee. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also quite a lot around. Um, well, there was nothing rather for universal credit, that you had a bit more time to pay back arrears, but there's actually no more money for universal credit whatsoever and it's always worth remembering that the Trussell Trust says that that, the number one reason that people go to a food bank is because of universal credit. Um, And there's also, if you are an an EU citizen wanting to Migrate to the country. You're now going to have to pay um, £624 a year to access the NHS, which was in the Conservative Party manifesto, but um, kind of was there. Now in black and white, the health sur- health immigration surcharge, and it's also worth remembering with that with that payment that before. Um, it's it's being hiked up for for all migrants ac- across the world, but for the first time, EU migrants paid. But before um, January 2019, that payment was like 200 pound, and now it's going up to 624. Yeah, it's huge. So it's, it's a, a huge kind of, increase. Yeah, and what I
1: thought was interesting in the budget red book. They had one line on that, how much money they were going to raise from migrants actually paying extra for the NHS. It is extra for the NHS because obviously they'll come here and they'll pay taxes and they'll pay for their taxes already for the NHS. This is an extra charge on people just literally for being a foreigner and being in the country, they're paying extra for the NHS. And the next line was the big bung to GPs and hospital consultants in terms of pension relief, which is, is not just limited to them, it's, no. it has to go to everybody. It's a massive so tax cut big for rich people, Tax cut for the rich, and, and that was the following line. And they just jarred 1.5 billion raised from migrants for the NHS and 2 billion tax cut for the rich, from that little quirk, I don't know what you thought, Rosanna, of that. I just a lot we were meant of we're
2: getting three hundred and fifty million pound a week after the, <laughs> <for> the, <laughs> for the NHS after we left the EU. So I'm not sure if we're getting all this money, why they have to charge. EU? I mean, you've well, got yeah, colleagues who, right, who are but.
1: obviously consultants who so now they've been complaining <laughs> yeah. bitterly about if they work more hours, they get penalised for their pensions. How big an issue is it?
2: Um, I mean, ultimately, I think people devote their lives to working in the NHS it's it's not a job it's a vocation it's very thankless you do lots of extra hours and I think coming after people who give their whole lives um, to serving us day in day out is is not really a great way to be going about things. Um, I haven't spoken to a lot of colleagues on this issue recently because they are so busy worrying about how you a know, patients are going to get their cancer chemotherapy on time. What's going to happen to elective surgery? You know, with the outbreak of the coronavirus and how they're going to serve their patients. Um, so yeah, it's it's beyond. Like I
3: mean, it's, is it not just neglect not to include social care at all? I just I was quite shocked that there was not just o- nothing.
2: Not only is it a neglect, it's an absolute false economy. You can f- f- you can literally throw as much money as you like at the NHS, but unless you invest in a fully integrated NHS social care system, it, it, it is like trying to fill a sink and not putting the plug in. It is ridiculous. I mean, if you look at, uh, at our, how our vulnerable elderly are already treated, they are not safe, they are not protected, they are not treated in the se- like they are treated in a way that if our y- If our children were treated that way, there would be national outcry. And yet we are not investing in the people who have worked their whole lives for us to enjoy the liberty that we have today. And when you look at the fact that people are not able to be discharged from hospital safely so that we can have beds freed up for the NHS. If you look at the fact that people are having to leave jobs to care for their elderly, they're obviously not giving back to the economy through taxes because they're not working anymore it is It is a, an absolute false economy not to invest in social care, and I just don't understand the government's thinking on this and this social care green paper is nowhere to be seen i mean I challenged Matt Hancock on that just a few weeks ago, and I, I, I really believe that as a credible opposition, once all this outbreak is 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 you know dealt with um, and sort of pacified as an issue we need to be challenging the government on this, because I would have really expected to see something in there. Yeah. Uh,
0: aside from that, does this budget and the way this government is going on spending make it harder for Labour to oppose the Tories, do you think?
2: Listen, I always say this, and I, like I always say that if the ultimate outcome is to better the lives of the people that we serve, working cross-party in any way is a good thing, surely. What we can't do is take a budget that seems nice in some places and go, oh, that's great. We should stop you know, opposing them. We should stop debating them because they've got it all right. They haven't got it all right. There were loads of things that weren't mentioned in the budget universal credit social care, You know, we've already spoken about them. So I think our job as an opposition is to work with the government on things that better the lives of the people that we serve, but to challenge and to scrutinize every step of the way on things where they fall short.
0: Well, we've got coronavirus, lockdowns and travel bans, but still the Labour leadership and deputy leadership contests rumble on. I know! Um, so <laughs> so Keir Starmer and Angela have now appear clear favourites to bag the leader and deputy slots with voting well underway. But can Rosena or someone like Lisa Nandy cause an upset? Here's Lisa explaining why she still thinks she can win in an interview with Paul last week.
3: I think the members are in a different place to where we've been in the recent past. We've lost for a long time. I've seen four leadership contests very close up in the ten years I've been in Parliament. And this is the one where I really feel like our members are thinking hard and considering how are we going to get back into power in a few years' time. I think they believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. And they're really considering the options. At this stage in the race, to still have a lot of members who are undecided, who haven't made up their mind who their first choice is. That's a sign of a really healthy party, I think, that knows that if it recovers its confidence, it can win. And that's the case that I'm making to the members. And I feel, you know, I feel at every stage in this contest, it's given me more reason to be confident.
1: Paul, is it all over... Well, for the leadership, it looks like it. I mean, anecdotally, a lot of people are just... The feedback is that Starmer has got such a big lead that it's going to be tricky for for Becky Longbailey or or Lisa Nandy to overtake him. But obviously, you know, I mean, I'm not still sure how many people have actually got a ballot paper and how many people have been excluded and whether or not that's going to skew things. Um, I mean, maybe there could be a surprise there. In terms of the deputy, it's going to be interesting because... Again, right from the beginning, a lot of people were saying Angie Reno is, is, is a shoe-in and Rosanna knows this, that you know, it seemed like she, she was marked out as the favourite even before the race started. Um, but you know, what's been interesting, I think, about the contest is just how it's shown. I think for the Labour Party, actually, the one benefit of this contest um, is that you've been able to see the breadth of different talents within the party, people who've not really been given a bit of an airplay before now. And let's be frank, I mean, I'm being totally frank, the current shadow cabinet are pretty dire. Um, you know they don't really punch their, above their weight and and, and, and and let's be honest it's about time it was said that you know there are people that are utterly anonymous and the Tories don't fear them at all across the dispatch box after this leadership race with a new shadow cabinet I suspect they'll be on their toes a lot more and that's one benefit that's good for politics let's be honest at the end of the day isn't it um, I mean that's the real benefit as to the results well we'll find out on April the 4th and, but now it sounds like it might be behind closed doors because of coronavirus which <laughs> I think Keir Starmer's people think might be a dastardly plot to get him you know, getting the airplay that he really deserves. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, Rosanna, you're still in it to win it.
3: I yeah, assume. of course
2: I am. Listen, I'm, I'm the wild card that came from nowhere. I've only been an MP for three years. I threw my hat in the ring because. I saw literally a door close on a whole generation of kids that grew up like me. And um, and people said I'd never get the m p nominations and I did with ease. Then people said, oh, you'll struggle to get the CLP nominations because you haven't been given a massive shadow front bench job because I wasn't here in 2015. And... At every step of the way, I didn't listen to the naysayers. I just carried on, plodding on, um, getting out there. I mean, at the start of this race, 9% of Labour members knew who the scuba I was. And, <laughs> and now I am... In fact, if you look at the polls, um, according to some polls, I'm in second place. And if you look at the poll that was conducted of the general public, when they were presented with all of us, they said they would choose me to be the next deputy leader. So obviously I haven't had the massive platform and the name recognition, but people like my grassroots revival plan, they like the energy, they like the fact that I have shared lived experiences with them, that I'm not a career politician. And because we have um, like a preference system and there are five candidates, there's absolutely everything to play for. I mean, I'm playing for it all. And to me, I, I never buy into that it's impossible because everything I've achieved in my life has been in the face of people telling me it's impossible. And I never listened then. I'm not listening now. I've won solid Tory council seats. I've strengthened marginal seats. And I'm now finding myself in this race where I get to have platforms where I talk about failures and what it's like to fail and pick back up and what it means when a Labour government takes you out of poverty. And I always say this, if just one young person listens to this podcast now and goes, she's really honest about her life, she's really normal, if she can do it, I can do it too, then that's that's the win. Who cares what happens on the 4th of April? That's how I feel. And, you know, I'm young, I have a whole um, life ahead of me, and I hope that if I don't win, that some of the things I've come up with, because I really believe the members like them, will be adopted by whomever the deputy leader is. But I'm in this to win this. I'm going all the way. Let's just see what happens and try and enjoy it.
0: It's going to be difficult now, though, with coronavirus. Um, I think it's the last hustings, is it, this weekend?
2: I think they might be cancelled, actually. Do you think they They should be cancelled? Yeah, I think it should be. I don't think it's... I mean, we are known as super spreaders, aren't we? We are meeting people all of the time. Um, It's not safe for us. It's not safe for people that come. And we have had... So many hustings, around twenty-five hustings now every weekend. You're and sick look, of the
1: sight of each other, aren't you? Basically,
2: actually, no. We, really like <laughs> each other. we, we joke. I mean, some some of us burst into song. I mean, you know, some of us, yeah. Okay, on, <laughs> one like of us burst into song. I mean, we, 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 show. can you do it now? Go no, on. I'm not doing it. Go well. on. No, song? no, no. I'll do it if if you vote for me. If any of you are members, you don't have to say it, but if you vote for me and I win, I will I will perform on the fourth of April. How about that? <laughs> and if I win, I will run a karaoke night at Labour conference and you're all invited, you're welcome. Very That's good. an incentive <laughs> That's win, win. No, but I mean, in, in all honesty, I think it's been really good. We've got an incredible selection of candidates um, and we all, we all really get on. Um, we all talk about our family lives. We've all seen so much of each other. We all have our own challenges. I mean, me, I've got, I've got two little ones. Um, you know, it's hard for us to leave our families behind. And we, and we do this because... We all genuinely love our party, and we might see slightly different um, paths to, 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 you know, to getting back into power, um, but that doesn't mean that we all don't have a, a really legitimate voice at, at, at the table.
3: I think the deputy leadership has been so much more interesting to watch than the leadership <laughs> contest. But can I be really cheeky and ask if, yeah. if you would like to be shadow health secretary if, if Angela does win the, the deputy leadership?
2: Oh, you know, I, I'm just, I like to focus on one thing at a time. Genuinely, and I don't think you should ever have a plan B because that's implying that you've accepted that your plan A won't work out. So, I am genuinely steely focused on winning this deputy leadership bid. Um, you could then, be both,
1: of course, you could be deputy leader and shadow health. Tom yeah, did culture, Tom did culture, he, did, and he did,
2: he did, yeah, I was in his team. Um, and that'd be for the leader to decide, yeah, I but mean, you'd be well, but you'd be a good fit, you? right. <laughs> I mean, I am a practicing NHS doctor, and I have got a master's degree in public health, and um, I care about our party. But that honestly is for is for whomever the leader is to decide.
0: And um, it looks like Keir Starmer's going to win the leadership.
1: He's a bit boring, isn't
2: he? <laughs> I don't I don't think his family would say that. No, he's not. He's he's a, he's a decent fellow.
1: Didn't you see our interview with Keir Starmer? He wasn't remotely boring. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well. We all, we, look, I'm been
0: deliberately provocative. I think
2: <laughs> I don't think he's boring. I think he's. I get on with him really well. I mean, yeah. I, I've not seen him in a karaoke setting, which is where make, I should make uh, my final judgment. Yes, as it should be. It's <laughs> <That's
1: laughs> a very good call.
0: <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song before we move on?
2: Oh, I, t- I do like. It's a bit of an old classic. Um, actually, no, I've got a couple. Can I get a, a, a couple? Um, Aretha Franklin. Think. That's a big Nice. And I do like um, Alana Miles' Black Velvet. It's a bit rocky, 90s, a little bit sassy. Moody. Difficult ones, I
0: imagine. Um, Right, anyway, let's move on. You won't have to to...
2: imagine if I win, because you can come to my carriage. Yeah,
0: don't. (laughs) I'd absolutely (laughs) love to. Um, First, we've got to do a quiz. Um, Oh, gosh. And we're a bit late on this, but to celebrate the news that Boris Johnson and Carrie Simmons are having a baby, this week's quiz is all about politicians and children.
1: Whoa.
0: (laughs) So... Uh, with the news uh, about 10 days ago, um, we found out that Johnson will become the fourth oh, of just ah, there's no rules, just shout the answer if you know it. With the news a few few days ago, uh, we found out that Johnson will become the fourth p.m. in 170 years to welcome a baby while in office. Who are the other three?
1: Ooh. Tony,
3: Tony Blair.: David Cameron. Blair. Yeah. Deadpool
2: Deadpool Cameron:
1: yeah. Definitely Tony Blair. because uh, that was Leo Cameron. Uh, and so there's another one. Who's the other one? In, in how many years? 170. Ooh. Oh, you're giving us a long thing there. It's a clue. So 170 years ago, who would have been PM?
0: I have to confess, I'd never heard of this guy.
1: You've never heard of this guy? It's a former Prime Minister? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, it wasn't well, Bonal a was it?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going with it being a he... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Good guess.
1: <laughs> Wait, it's not Margaret.
0: So I've got,
2: f- so got 50% of the answer, right? Over to
1: you guys. Um, I'm going to pass. Uh, 170 years ago, it can't be Disraeli, because you would have heard of him. Um, oh, Grey, Lord Grey? No. Go on.
0: Lord John Russell?
1: Oh, yeah. He's a famous liberal.
0: Is he? Should yeah, I have heard yeah, of him? Yeah,
1: you should have heard of him. Because actually, I think his, <laughs> his grandson was Comrade Russell, who was a peer in the Lords, not until he died, sort of. Early 2000s. But anyway, that's another story. OK, I'm going to
0: give a point to Paul and a point to Rosanna because you've got one each. Aww, Thank you. Too so generous. all to play for. Um, which of his children did David Cameron leave in a pub after Sunday lunch? Nancy. Yes, correct. Well
1: done. Something because I, I remember reporting it at the time. Yeah.
0: she was she, 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 <laughs> <she>, really worrying. <laughs> she'd wandered off to the toilets while Cameron and his wife, Samantha, were uh, arranging lifts home, and, and they only realised she was not with them when they got home. We've all done it. I mean, come <laughs> on. Speak
2: for yourself.
1: <laughs> Have you done it? Kind of, not really. <laughs> oh, <come> on, Paul. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Tell us a story. You, it's the middle one you forget about. You <laughs> oh, that's my problem. i only got two, you
2: see. see, you just do.
1: Where did you leave your middle child? I'm not going into it. Okay.
2: (laughs) A frozen aisle, getting the nuggets.
1: There's a lot worse than that, I can tell you. But anyway, it's not for the
2: podcast.
1: (laughs) The PM rushed back to the plough in in Cadsden,
0: Buckinghamshire, where he found his daughter with staff. So, all's well that ends well. Uh, Final question. In July 2000, Tony Blair's son Ewan was arrested. Why?
1: Oh, Cannabis. He was drunk think. in Trafalgar Square, and I think he threw up in Trafalgar Square. He was drunk in Trafalgar Square. I'm pretty sure he was sick uh, because the next day Blair was at some sort of um, Baptist church, and he had to sort of talk about it. And I remember being there. That's the only reason I remember. I'm just yeah. so old. That's the reason I know this stuff. Yeah,
0: it's, it's closer. That it was Leicester Square, actually. Leicester Square, and he was arrested for being drunk and incapable found by police officers Aww. at 11pm in Leicester Square after celebrating the end of his GCSE exams.
1: <laughs> well, he Fair
3: well. enough, I yeah. mean, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tony Blair said, Being a Prime Minister can be a tough job, but being a parent is probably tougher. And Downing Street issued a statement saying that Ewan was very sorry.
2: <laughs> what else could they say? He yeah.
0: wasn't yeah. sorry at all. He <laughs> just wished he hadn't peeked in the fountain or yeah, something. Yeah, can't yeah. say that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me and make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels so you can catch us every Thursday. And be sure to get your daily dose of the latest politics news by signing up to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone, or follow the link in the episode notes. And on topic, we'll just leave you with Boris Johnson discussing whether he's going to change his new baby's
1: nappy. It doesn't stop you ask, answering whether or not you're going to change a few nappies. Though. Well, I know. I thought that. Was, well, I, thought, I thought. Yeah. Well, that was a very tricky one, though. I mean, that was, you know, that was that was really coming in on middle sump. If I didn't, uh, I, there was nowhere to go on that one. Uh, if I'd said no, that would be. You been did just say yes. I did say yes. Yes, yeah, in, in a vague sort of way. One, I think. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for coming.